Hello, Sterling College, and welcome to the final chapel of the fall 2020 semester. My name is Brett Callen, and I'm the Director of Worship Arts here at Sterling College. And I'm so excited to be leading us in a time of singing this today as we do our Christmas chapel. And even though we're gathering virtually, it's important to understand and to remember that we gather because Jesus is risen, Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is worthy of our worship. But before we enter into our time of singing today, allow me to read a brief call to worship from Isaiah chapter 11, starting in verse 1. A shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. A branch will sprout from his roots. The Lord's Spirit will rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of planning and strength, a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. He will delight in fearing the Lord. He won't judge by appearances, nor decide by hearsay. He will judge the needy with righteousness and decide with equity for those who suffer in the land. He will strike the violent with the rod of his mouth, and by the breath of his lips he will kill the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt around his hips, and faithfulness the belt around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion will feed together, and a little child will lead them. They won't harm or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain. The earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, just as the water covers the sea. Amen. Now, before we sing our first song this morning, I want to make note that there is a specific reference to the rod of Jesse in the song. And this is just another way of saying the sprout of Jesse or the stem of Jesse. And as Isaiah was writing this, he was making a prophecy about the coming Messiah to the people of Israel, who by this point had been oppressed for centuries by other people groups. So it's important that Isaiah is writing these words of the hope for restoration, despite the circumstances that were surrounding the Israelites. And that this hope for restoration that Isaiah prophesied about is not only for the people of Israel, but for the entire world. The work of the Messiah would come to save us all, and we now know that that is Jesus Christ. So as we make our own way through a turbulent and frustrating time in our lives, I pray that we bear in mind the words of Isaiah, his encouragement to truth and justice and hope, as we sing O Come Emmanuel together. Oh, come thou day spring, come and 
our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadow put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, the rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save And give them victory o'er the grave Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel Shall come to Holy God, we are grateful for the chance to come together today and to reflect upon the miraculous birth of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that as we hear the miraculous message of the humble birth of Jesus, that we in turn would be humbled and that it would transform our lives ultimately. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, hello. I didn't see you there. And also, I may not have noticed that there's actually nothing in this uh, coffee cup either. Listen, uh, you all know me, right? My name is Paul Brandis. I get the deep honor and privilege of serving here at Sterling College as your chaplain. And I just wonder, is it weird if I start our time off in this portion of our service by telling you all how proud I am of you? I hope it's not weird because that's exactly what I'm going to do. Y'all, I am so proud of you. So proud of you. I mean, the truth is we are rounding the corner to the finish line of one of the most difficult semesters in all of human history. And that may sound like an overstatement or hyperbole, but it's not. It's not. This has been one of the most difficult semesters anyone has ever experienced. And you all, our students here at Sterling College, have navigated it with brilliance. And I'm so proud of you for that. And I'm also making an assumption. If you're watching this, 
our 14th uh, chapel of the semester, which is happening entirely online. I'm, I'm imagining that you all are going to make it. Like, you know what I mean? You're going to make it through this virtual week of classes that we have. You're going to make it through next week's virtual finals week. And you may even be watching this in between a couple of finals. I'm assuming you're going to make it. You know, like if you've stuck with me in chapel this long in the semester, you're going to make it. And so I'm proud of you. I know we're not right at the finish line yet, but we're rounding that bend. And what I have observed in so many of you in so many of you, in so many of your stories, I've actually observed over the course of this semester, over the course of this strange seven or eight months that we've been living in since early March, I actually have observed that many of you are not just surviving these difficult days, but many of you are figuring out how to thrive in the midst of them. Not just survive, but thrive in the midst of them. Now, you may not connect with that. You may be thinking, I don't feel like I'm surviving. I don't feel like I'm thriving at all, Paul. I barely feel like I'm surviving. But let me tell you, from the outside looking in, I have observed you all thrive and rise to the challenge of 2020 in incredible ways. And I think it's because you all are an incredibly resilient bunch. An incredibly resilient bunch. Now, what is resilience? We might say that it's the ability to recover from difficult experiences and setbacks, to adapt, to move forward, and sometimes even to experience growth in the midst of challenging moments. Now I'm pulling that definition from Eileen Zimmerman's excellent New York Times article from back in June on this topic of resilience, and I wanna read that definition for you one more time. The definition of resilience. Resilience is the ability to recover from difficult experiences and setbacks, to adapt in the midst of those, to move forward from them, and to even experience sometimes some growth. You know, one of my privileges as in my job as chaplain is to hear some of your stories, to experience some of your lives. I count it as a deep honor that you let me in. It's something that I take very seriously. And time and time again, student after student after student, I walk away from my times with you thinking about this idea of resilience. Resilience. I walk away from my times with you encouraged. I walk away from my times with you challenged. I I walk away emboldened to grow in my own resilience. I need to be more resilient in the midst of my own difficult circumstances and you encourage and challenge me to do just that. Again, you may not feel it yourself. I know sometimes you probably don't feel it. But from the outside looking in, from from an observer of your lives, I can tell you this truth. You are a resilient bunch. You just are. And I'm proud of you. I really, really am. Now, I bring this up, this idea of resilience, and talking about what I've observed over the last eight months because I want to encourage you in that, and hopefully you feel encouraged. But I also bring it up because I want to encourage you not just by what I've seen, but I also want to encourage you to keep going in your resilience. Keep going in your resilience. I know that we're all desperately waiting for this blasted year to end. I know we're waiting for that for 2020 to be over. In fact, I've said it before, I'll say it again, the only two good things to come out of 2020 are the Chiefs Super Bowl win, which I know some of you disagree with me about, and the fact that Ashley and I got pregnant and we're expecting our third kid in just a month. That's the, other than that, 22 can, 2020 can go shove it. You know what I mean? And in some ways, there is 
significance in the turning of the calendar from December 31st to January 1st. It hearkens a new start, a new dawn, new possibilities. But in other ways? I I mean, let me ask you this. What really changes? What really changes when when the clock strikes midnight on New Year's Eve? What really changes? Not much, right? And I know that's not what we all want to hear right now. I know that we would much rather believe that magically, somehow, some way, the world will be wholly different on January 1st. But friends, I'm sorry to tell you that just isn't the case. In so many ways, on January 1st at 12.01 a.m., we will still be waiting. We will still be waiting. Waiting for the pandemic to go. Waiting for a vaccine to come. Waiting for the semester to start. Waiting for graduation to finally arrive. Waiting for deep friendships in our lives to blossom. Maybe waiting for a romantic relationship. Or if you're in a romantic relationship, you might be waiting for a ring by spring. Waiting for the health recovery of a close friend or family member. Waiting to just get a bit of money into our bank account. As college students, you might be waiting for that one for a long time. Waiting, waiting, waiting. On January 1st, At 12.01 a.m., you will still be waiting for so many things that you were waiting for on December 31st at 11.59 p.m. Because here is the truth, friends. We never graduate waiting. We never graduate waiting. And here's how you can test this theory. Find the oldest person you know, maybe a grandpa or a grandma or a close friend, a neighbor that you grew up with. The oldest person you know, find them and ask them what they are waiting for. And I guarantee that they'll have an answer because waiting is not something that we move on from in this life. And let me tell you, you would do well to master the art of waiting well. You would do well to master the art of waiting well as early as you can because you are going to be waiting for something, for some things, as long as you're alive. You will. And I know the challenge of this in my own life. I really do. I'm a human, so I know what it means to wait. And I know how hard it can be, which is how these ideas of waiting and resilience connect. Here's our big idea for today. Don't miss it. Waiting requires resilience. Waiting requires resilience. Remember, resilience is about recovery from challenging circumstances. It's about moving forward from challenging circumstances. It's about growing even when things are hard. You know, often we view seasons of waiting in a very passive sense, don't we? A passive sense. Like we sit back and we wait, just like I'm sitting on a couch, we sort of pull up the chair of life and we wait for the challenging circumstances in our lives to change. We wait for them to pass us by. But in combining these ideas of waiting and resilience, I believe that we actually discover something, a waiting that is much more active in nature. I believe that we find a way to thrive in the midst of seasons of difficult waiting by moving forward, by growing, by adapting, by changing. We thrive in systems uh, in seasons of waiting by being resilient. And again, I see this all in you. I really do. 
I see this in you. I've observed this in you. Maybe you haven't explicitly connected these ideas of waiting with resilience, but I observe this truth within you. And I also observe it quite beautifully in the lives of Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna. And you might be wondering who Simeon and Anna are. Are they students that you haven't met yet? That would be strange. We go to a tiny college. You've met everyone. So no, Simeon and Anna are not students at Sterling College. I actually haven't met Simeon and Anna. They are close personal friends of mine. Uh, I haven't met them yet. I will one day, and that day will be glorious. Simeon Simeon and Anna are close personal friends of mine that I have grown in relationship with by way of spending time in Luke chapter 2. They're characters in our Bible, but more than being characters in our Bible, they were real people who lived on this real earth, just like you and I are right now today. And their stories were captured for us. A snapshot of their stories were captured for us and written down in the book of Luke chapter 2. And I observe this idea of waiting and resilience in their lives. And actually, Simeon and Anna are part of the Christmas story. Y'all, it's December. It is Christmas time, right? Somehow, some way, it's already almost Christmas. And unfortunately, Simeon and Anna are, are often forgotten members of the Christmas story, but not for us. Not for us and not today, because their stories are too beautiful to be forgotten. And so since I'm sitting in a library, <laughs> since I'm seated on a couch, I thought we might just have story time with Chaplain Paul. And I thought you could listen as I read to you this beautiful story of Simeon and Anna getting to meet baby Jesus. Because that's what Christmas is all about, isn't it? We give gifts because God gave us the greatest gift of Jesus. So let's enter into this moment in the Christmas story and let's read together or read or listen to me as I read rather the beautiful portion of this story, including Simeon and Anna. I'm reading out of the message paraphrased by the brilliant uh, author and pastor Eugene Peterson, and the word of the Lord reads this way. In Jerusalem at that time, there was a man, Simeon by name, a good man. A man who lived in the prayerful expectancy. Other translations actually say waiting. A man who lived in the prayerful expectancy of help for Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. Indeed, the Holy Spirit had shown him that he would see the Messiah, the Savior of God, before he died. Led by the Spirit, one day, he entered the temple. As the parents of the child Jesus brought him in to carry out the rituals of the law of Moses, Simeon took him into his arms. And he blessed God, saying, God, you can release me now, your servant. Release me in peace as you promised, because with my own eyes I have seen your salvation. It's now out in the open for everyone to see. Jesus, this Jesus, will be a God-revealing light to the non-Jewish nations, to the whole world, and of your glory he will be for your people, Israel. Now Jesus' father and mother were speechless with surprise at these words. And Simeon went on to bless them, and he said to Mary, Jesus' mother, this child marks both the failure, but also a recovery of many within Israel. He will be a figure misunderstood and contradicted. 
In some ways, he will be the pain of a sword thrust through you. But the rejection will force honesty as God reveals who they really are. Now, Anna, the prophetess, was also there. And she was a daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. She was by now a very old woman. She had been married seven years, but a widow for 84 And she never left the temple area, worshiping night and day with her fastings and prayers. At the very same time that Simeon was praying, she showed up and she broke into an anthem of praise to God. And she would not stop talking about the child to all, to all, to all who were waiting. Waiting expectantly for the freeing of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. I mean, did you see it with me? Did you observe it with me? The incredible resilience in the lives of both Simeon and Anna. Did you observe with me how they waited so well, surviving and even, I would imagine, learning how to thrive in the midst of difficult lives and difficult circumstances? I mean, not only does Luke tell us explicitly that both Simeon and Anna were waiting, he uses that word, they were waiting, right? But I want you with me to think about their lives. Think about their lives. Both of them, Luke says, were advanced in age. Luke says that Anna was very old. He says that Simeon was just waiting to meet Jesus so that he could die. They were advanced in age. They were several decades older than all of you students who are watching now. And my guess is that they had well learned, Simeon and Anna had well learned the lesson that we don't graduate from waiting. My guess is that they had wrestled deeply with all that they were waiting for. And most of all, what they were waiting for was a savior for Israel. And God had revealed to Simeon that he would not die until he saw that savior. And in Anna's portion of the story, you read that she broke into this anthem of praise, this song for all who were waiting for this savior of Israel. And imagine in that moment, you're, you're Simeon and God supernaturally reveals to you that you won't die until you see his promised savior. And we don't know all the details, but I'm going to go ahead and guess that God didn't give Simeon a timeline. I mean, look throughout all of scripture. Very rarely does God give people a timeline when he promises something to them. And that's hard, isn't it? I mean, this is a beautiful and good thing that Simeon is waiting for. It's what all of Israel is waiting for. God's promised Messiah, his promised Savior. He's waiting for the good thing, the best thing, but he doesn't know when it's going to come. And that reminds me of my son, Owen. My three-year-old son, Owen. I mean, just yesterday, no, no joke, just yesterday, my mom and dad, Owen's grandparents, sent us a bunch of gifts for Christmas because we're not going to be able to be with them on Christmas Day. So they sent us all these packages. And so right now, I kid you not, right now in our living room, there are five or six packages that are for my son, Owen. He's three years old, right? He, he knows what a gift is. He knows what it means to open a present, to get a good thing. And it is killing him that he doesn't have a timeline because we're not going to wait all the way until Christmas Day to open these gifts, but we don't know when we're going to do it yet. And last night, an afternoon, he asked my wife, Ashley, and I only about, 
oh, I don't know, 76, 77, 78 times, when can we open the gifts? When can we do it? When can we open these gifts? Because it is hard to wait for a good thing that you don't know when it's going to come. That's Simeon. So imagine that day. Imagine that day in the temple. The Spirit of God has supernaturally revealed to you that you're not going to die until you see His promised Savior. And I imagine the Spirit of God that morning prompted Simeon, hey, go to the temple today. There's, there's somebody I want you to meet. And, and now what Mary and Joseph are doing with Jesus is, is commonplace. This was required for all, for all women who had had a baby. And so they might have even been waiting in a line. This is not abnormal, them going to the temple. It was a little strange that they had Jesus with them, but there's some reasons why they brought Jesus. And imagine even with me that line of mothers who are waiting for this ritual process to happen. And Simeon sort of has this urge in his spirit to go seek out Mary and Joseph and their little baby boy. Jesus would have been a month and a half old, 40 days old at this point. And Simeon walks up to Mary and Joseph and he, he takes the baby in his hands and he, you know, like Simba, right? <laughs> Simba and the Lion King. And he raises him up and he starts to sing this incredible song about who Jesus is and what he will do and, and what he's going to mean. Because God has whispered to Simeon, he's the one. That's the family. That little baby right there across the courtyard from you is my son with whom I am well pleased. He is my plan to save the whole world. Now picture that just for a moment, you're Mary and Joseph, and this guy kind of just grabs your baby and starts singing this incredible song about him. I mean, there's these, this line about how Mary and Joseph were surprised, they were confused, and some people have looked at that and they've said, well, that confuses me that they're confused because I thought an angel showed up and told Mary who this baby was going to be. So why now is she confused when this guy starts singing this incredible song about him? And I don't know about you, but I have to think, if I was Mary... I would have had some moments of doubt. Did God, did an angel really show up? Did God really send an angel to tell me about this baby? Did I really get pregnant even though I've, I've never slept with a man? Like I'd have some moments of doubt in the midst of that, right? I, I imagine maybe you would too. And you're just doing something normal. You're taking your baby to the temple. You're gonna get yourself ritually uh, purified as you needed to do. And then this, this, ecstatic song about how your son is, is going to be a glory for Israel and a light to the nations. I, it would have been so much, wouldn't it, have, wouldn't it have been? I'd be overwhelmed too. Well, that's Simeon, right? An aged man who had been waiting to meet Jesus so that he could die in peace. A beautiful picture of resilience. And just for a moment, Consider Anna with me. Luke tells us that she had been married for seven years. And then after seven years of marriage, her husband had passed away. And in this culture and moment, women married young. It might seem strange to us, but the average age that a woman got married was actually around 13. And life expectancy probably wasn't as long uh, for, for most people. And there's a lot of different reasons for this. I know we think it's strange, but she gets married around 13 or 14 years old, right? She's married until she's 20 or 21, and then she's a widow for 84 years, which means she is pushing north of 100. 
84 long years she has lived without her husband, which makes her one of the most vulnerable members in, in their society. It's probably one of the reasons that she never left the temple because that was a place of protection and safety for her. And we shouldn't take that too literally, but she was in the temple almost all the time. Anna, if you grew up in church, and maybe you didn't, which is okay, but if you grew up in church, Anna is the sort of church grandma that was a grandma to everyone. Like, you know who I'm talking about, right? Like she's at church whenever the doors are open, Sundays, Wednesdays, she gets a key so she can go in and just like pray all the time. She's always giving you little candies and she's always telling you that she's praying for you. That's Anna, right? She's just in the temple all the time. Again, probably because it was the safest place for her to be because of her vulnerability in society. And I want you to think for a moment with me about how long 84 years is. 84 years ago was 1936 from right now. FDR had just been elected to his second term, not third or fourth term. The Great Depression hadn't happened yet. And World War II was a few years away, y'all. I'm sorry, the Great Depression was happening. It was currently going on. And World War II was still a few years ago. That was 84 years ago. That is how long this woman lived without her husband. She's been waiting. She's lived a, a difficult life. Our culture operates in seconds. Not in years. Certainly not in decades. I mean, the... TikTok proves my point, doesn't it? 15 second videos. And TikTok is fine as it goes, but let me tell you something. TikTok does not prepare you to wait decades for anything, does it? It's fine as it goes, but it does not prepare you to wait decades for anything. 84 years this woman had been a, w a widow. She's this picture, this example of all those within God's people, Israel, who had been waiting for him to send his promised Savior. And both of their stories, Simeon and Anna, get us back to our big idea for this morning, which is that waiting requires resilience. I am convinced that we see this powerfully in the lives of Simeon and Anna, sadly, almost forgotten members of the Christmas story. But they're not forgotten by us today. They're not forgotten by you. And if we had Simeon and Anna with us today, and if we could ask them, and I wish we could, and one day we'll get to ask them, if we could ask them today how it is that they waited so well, if we could ask them how it is that they came to be resilient in the face of the challenges of their lives, I imagine actually that they would point us in the direction of hope. Of hope. Let's land on hope, folks. And I know some people think too much hope is dangerous. Some of you watching maybe believe that, that too much hope is a setup for crushing disappointment. Like what we say to kids all the time, right? Don't get your hopes up. And yes, when we take hope to mean something like, I'm optimistic that things will work out this way, I fully agree. Too much of that hope can be dangerous. I think it is. But that's not the hope I'm talking about. Oh no. Friends, I'm talking about the hope of the Bible. And friends, the good news of the hope of the Bible is that it is not based at all on circumstances. Rather, the hope of the Bible is based on a capital P person, the person of Jesus Christ. Do not miss that. Biblical hope is based on the person of Jesus Christ. Biblical hope is based on the person of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament book of Hosea, there's this gorgeous little verse in the middle of chapter 2, verse 15. And in that amazing verse, God gives us a promise. 
He promises that he will turn the valley of trouble into a door of hope. He promises that he will turn the valley of trouble into a door of hope. Now, think about those images with me one at a time. Valley of trouble. Maybe that describes your life right now perfectly. You don't have to imagine it at all. Immediately you hear valley of trouble and you think, yep, I'm living that. In some ways, 2020, I think, and what COVID has been is a, is a deep valley of trouble, a deep and difficult valley of trouble. Friends, God promises that he is going to turn that valley of trouble into a door of hope. God promises that he will turn the valleys of trouble into doors of hope. A door, right? A door is something that we can walk through, that we can move forward through into a new room, into a new chapter, into a new season. And yes, I know if you are currently living in the valley of trouble, it is hard to believe that there will ever be a door of hope. I know that it is so difficult to wait well with resilience in the middle of valleys of trouble. But I believe we can wait in hope because of what Jesus has done. I believe we can wait in hope because of what Jesus has done. That is your next step. It's what I want to invite you to this morning is to wait with me in hope because of what Jesus has already done. Because listen, friends, Think about it with me. When Jesus was killed and put in the tomb, oh, that seemed like the greatest valley of trouble the world had ever seen, wasn't it? It seemed like it. It sure looked as though that was the end of Jesus when they put him in that grave and they rolled that big stone in front of it. Imagine being one of the first followers of Jesus. Imagine being Peter or John, his best friend. Imagine being his mother Mary who sat there and watched her son be crucified. Never done anything wrong. Didn't deserve that. And as they shoved a spear through his side to make sure he was dead, you, you can see Simeon's words to Mary of the sword shoved through her own side. Imagine being Mary when her son was killed. Imagine watching them carry his body into Joseph's tomb and, and roll that stone in front. That seemed like a valley of trouble, but the story doesn't end there. You know it doesn't. Because friends, after three days, God rolled that stone away. And Jesus walked out of that too. Death couldn't hold him. God rolled that stone away and he opened up a new and better door of hope. He opened up a door of hope into a resurrected life. The ultimate valley of trouble turned into, by way of the resurrection of Jesus, the ultimate door of hope. Amen and amen. So yes, Waiting can be hard. Yes, waiting well requires resilience, but we can do it. We can do it if we only choose to wait in hope because of what Jesus has done. So friends, in this Christmas season, walk through that door of hope with me, won't you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the door of hope made possible by the way of Jesus' resurrection. Thank you that you promised to turn our valleys of trouble into doors of hope, Lord. And we know it's hard to wait well in the middle of valleys of trouble. I don't want to minimize that. And so I pray for strength and endurance. I pray for greater resilience. And I have seen so much of it in our students, but I pray for that more and more and more, Lord, so that we can wait well for the days in which you will provide the doors of hope into better things for us. 
We're so grateful for Jesus. That's why we celebrate him around Christmas, the greatest gift ever given. We pray all of this in his precious and matchless name. Amen. Thank you, guys. day of peace that dimly shines through all our hopes and prayers and dreams guide us to justice truth and love delivered from our selfish schemes May swords of hate fall from our hands, our hearts from envy find release, till by God's grace our warring world shall see Christ's promised reign of peace. Shall the wolf dwell with the lamb, nor shall the fierce devour the small, as beasts and cattle calmly graze, a little child shall lead them all. Then enemies shall learn to love All creatures find their true accord The hope of peace shall be fulfilled And all the earth shall know the Lord Do you believe that with me? The hope of peace, right? That is what we are waiting on. That ultimate day of peace, that ultimate door that we get to walk through into God's everlasting peace. He already has victory. We are just waiting for it to be fully realized. I hope this time together has encouraged you. I know I felt encouraged by it. I'm always so grateful for Brett and Jace who helped us record today. And again, my hope is that, right? My hope, my hope is that you will enjoy a peaceful Christmas season celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna send you a benediction, a blessing, a final good word from Romans chapter 15. And notice the themes that we talked about in this verse. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you actually overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much.